You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Two really interesting things buzzing on Twitter in the last 48 hours, Ed, as we kick off Socks in the Basement right here from my 9-foot homemade oak bar. Pull up a stool and join us, folks, all brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. And you got any problems going on in the basement or you're worried about problems and you want some money off, call them or go on their website. Tell them Socks in the Basement sent you. You get cash off just for telling them that Socks in the Basement sent you. And they do great work. Uh, They're everywhere. Northern Illinois, Northwest Indiana, FAMWS.com. But there are two big things right now, Ed, that I'm I'm seeing popping up on Twitter. The Twitter buzz. Yeah, the, the first thing that popped up was clearly Liam Hendricks, I think, is moving soon. It was like his agent finished Christmas vacation, his long break. Like on the same day my kids go back to school, Liam Hendricks is all of a sudden showing up in Toronto. And when a guy right. is you know, a native Australian, it's a big deal that he's now showing up at different locations. He's not going home without a deal. No, he's he's here to sign. This is obviously a planned thing like, hey, yeah, Liam, we're going to go to a few places and we're going to get their best offers. I think Liam Hendricks signs as somebody's closer within the week. And I'm starting to not believe it's the White Sox. I don't think it's going to be. I, I really, I, I just, the more time goes on, the more I feel like Rick Hahn usually gets these deals done, the major deals done quickly. And the stuff that comes later is usually the, hey, you know what, we're set, but this guy's taking a discount, or this guy's going to be available, and we might as well jump on him because we've got the opportunity. I feel like if they were going to sign Hendricks, they would have made their push really hard at the beginning. I don't think he likes playing waiting games. I just sort of a feeling. I don't have any insider information on that. But the fact that he also went to Toronto's training site, I feel like a site visit is usually a precursor to either accepting an offer or that's because that's the most serious offer he's got on the table. Yeah, or he's trying to drum up interest. That's the other thing that's going on on Twitter right now. That brings you right into the next thing. There's a great account. It's like MLB executive burner account where the person claims they're an MLB executive and and they, they write things that are going on inside the industry. And a lot of the stuff they say tends to pan out. But, but the other thing is we're seeing guys like John Heyman, guys that talk to the GMs, and the word is starting to get out where they're saying, look, the agents, they have a poor idea of what the market is. It's like they, are, they have not been paying attention to the word coming out, whether you believe it or not, that all of these owners are broke, that the shortened season and no fans in the stands crushed all of them, and there's no way that they can recover and that they're not going to be giving multi-year deals, and they're not going to be giving these big money contracts. And and you're seeing stories like the extension that was offered to JT Romulto and what he actually wants, but they can't find another suitor besides him going back to the Phillies, like he's hung out to dry out there. That Trevor Bauer is doing everything he can to create interest, including just showing up randomly in towns. Tweeting things out like, I'm in Denver, where, where's a good place to eat? The Rockies aren't interested in you. No. But it, it's almost like he's trying to create his own buzz because the GMs realize with the payrolls that they've been given for this year that 
everybody's in the same boat. They're all talking to each other. And they also know they can't afford a guy like that. And if they are in a bidding war, they're probably just in a bidding war with themselves. And the agents haven't caught on to this. At least that's what the narrative is over the last couple of days, is that it's coming out now. It's almost as if the attack is coming from either the people in the press that they leaked their information to or the executives themselves on burner accounts are trying to get this message out of, you guys are all nuts. Nobody's paying that, that price. And meanwhile, you have the players and the agents trying to drum up excitement like, my guy's about the deal. My guy's about to sign. You better hurry up and do it. You better increase your price. And it's this push and pull we've been seeing over the last couple of weeks. And I, I really think this is going to end up with, I think Hendricks might sign, but I think an awful lot of other guys have to start looking at one-year deals. Well, and that's the the push and pull that you always have year in and year out from the agents and the owners is this tug of war of the owners saying, we're not going to pay for this. And the agents saying, I can get one fish on that hook. This year, there's no fish on those hooks. Nobody is buying. Everybody thought Steve Cohen of the Mets was going to come in and start spending. The Padres have been aggressive, but they've been aggressive in trades, not so much with the free agent signings. And to try and drum it up, though, it's it's basically it's a propaganda war against the fans so that they're hoping the fans will revolt, I think, and get mad at the teams and somehow get into that, or that the GMs won't be talking to each other because they're afraid of some sort of trumped-up collusion charge or something like that if they all agree they're not going to pay Trevor Bauer what John Heyman said he wanted. I I, I think it's probably just that the agents have, like you said, misread the market this year. This is not an excuse for the White Sox. I still am royally ticked off at the idea that there was supposedly this money that was going to be spent. And I don't believe that if you lowered your payroll 30 or $40 million every year for four years of a rebuild, that that $160 million that should have been sitting in reserve was also eaten up by the pandemic. I don't, I don't believe that. I think that the money will be spent thing will be something that will be screamed out loud by White Sox fans for the next several years. Ha ha ha, the money will be spent. Because where did it all go? I don't think they lost that much. I don't, I don't believe that. I still am upset at the fact that with this market so bad, they can't just swoop in and grab a guy and shock everybody. Because they could right now. Right now, if they threw that lifeline out there right now, they probably could run out there and grab whoever they wanted to. But they're playing with this set budget that's not allowing them to do that. Socks in the Basement listeners, do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. I want Jordan Lazowski from Socks on 35th 
to come on this program right now and tell me why Yasmati Grandal is so great. Because Jordan, I, I see people constantly saying we, we should have kept James McCann or putting him down. How are you, my friend? Good. Glad to be on again. How were your holidays? Oh, they were wonderful. We, we got to hang out with uh, grandma and grandpa. We made our own little bubble. So it was, it was good times. So why is Yasmati Grandal a, a, a good catcher? Yasmati Grandal, no matter what way you're going to frame the numbers, and you can try as you might, there are plenty of sites to do so, is a top two or three catcher in baseball. The other guy who has an argument consistently is JT Romito, and you're going to see that in what he gets paid this offseason. The fact of the matter is, no matter how you want to look at it, no matter what you consider important, you need to understand that his approach at the plate, his framing as a catcher, his shortcomings, which everyone likes to call out, and sure enough, they exist, just like they do for every player. But, but the things he's good at, he is so good at, that it makes up for those things that bother people that he's not good at. A, a quick example, batting average. Everyone hates that he only hits 240. We're, we're trying as fans, as analysts, as people in the game to understand that we need to look beyond batting average. But looking just beyond batting average, the, the run creation he is able to, to bring about through his, sure, it's his on-base on percentage approach. He's going to take his walks. He's going to take pitches you wish he didn't. But that approach at the plate has made him one of the top catchers in terms of run value. This game is won and lost by the amount of runs you score. Framing is going to lead him defensively. He's, he's not the world's greatest defensive catcher, but he's so good as a framer, it makes up for the fact in terms of run value that he's not as good of a defensive catcher. When you put it all together, you're not going to find many better than him. So where does it come from, Jordan Lazowski of Sox on 35th and Diamond Digest, two-time Sox math winner and uh, an overall good guy? Where, do, where does it come from that people are critical of Grandal? Is it because you look at him in comparison to other players that play different positions? And if you did that, you're like, well, he's just an average ball player and his flaws stick out more and they're not comparing him to just catchers? To me, there's three factors to that. The first one is exactly what you're pointing out. If you try and compare catchers to other players, you're, you're going to devalue them as a player. You have, you have to look position by position. There are catchers who are really good catchers that are not going to look as good compared to the whole. It's just the times we're in in baseball, that's just the fact of how it is. So you have to compare by position. That's a really good point, and I think that's one of the main reasons. So the second thing is, you know, it's your own personal biases towards what you value in a player. If you're someone who values batting average and you want someone who's going to hit 270, no matter what the OBP is, no matter what the slugging is, you, you want someone who's at least hitting 270, maybe 250, just since 270 is generous, you're never going to like Yasmani Grandal. Like, I, there's no way I can put it to you. If your bias is towards batting average, I'm going to lose an argument with you every time. I'm going to try and show you the other sides of it, but that's just your, what you value, and I can't change your mind. I can try and show you the value of looking at other things, but it's your decision at the end of the day. That's the second thing to me. And the third one is McCann and how well he played in 2019, where it felt like you saw the hole in right field, you saw the hole in starting pitching staff, but no one was like, we, we need an upgraded catcher. Now, there were underlying metrics that suggested, hey, maybe we, we could use an extra catcher. Maybe Grandal had a little bit of luck. Or excuse me, McCann had a little bit of luck behind his 2019 season. So when you go out and you get the 
at least top two catcher in baseball, people are like, well, we already got a great catcher. Why do we need another one? And, and the reality is, so the exact situation we're looking at here, you know, always upgrade wherever you possibly can. And having that left-handed bat in the lineup was valuable. But I think people thought and saw McCann and were like, well, we don't need that. Well, I, I think the Sox saw what a lot of us fans did. And it was like, all right, yeah, Grant, or McCann was good. But it's like, if you look at some of the numbers, was he really that good? I, I know a lot of people have sat there and said, well, you know, McCann got better at framing. And look, uh, the Mets must believe in him. But on, on the other hand, I think the Mets believe in him more than I believed in him because I was like, well, he had one really good half. And then he was able to be plugged in in the right situations in a shortened season in 2020. Mm -hmm. And I haven't seen a full season out of him, but I know what Yasmani Grandal is. Absolutely. And I mean, even look at 2019 with the Sox. Excuse me, McCann only played 100 games. So it's not a full season of games there. He played 30 this season. So we're still just slowly getting to that cumulative full season's worth of numbers. If you're looking at a team who's trying to compete now, I'm trying to get as many guarantees as possible. You know, Grandal's been around a while. I know what I'm getting. And, you know, maybe there's some things that he doesn't do that I don't particularly like that he doesn't do. But I understand his long, his value because I've seen it over a long-term period of at least four years. Or McCann, you know, if you're, you're going to take a risk by giving him a four-year deal to be your starter because you really haven't seen him do it over a course of several years. Talk to me a little bit about the framing thing, because I don't think a lot of people get that. So can you can you break down a little bit what Yasmani Grandal brings that other catchers don't bring? And in comparison to other catchers, what he brings in terms of being able to help pitchers? Because we have this narrative now that, well, without McCann, how will Lucas Giolito be Lucas Giolito? But in reality, Grandal should help Giolito more because of his metrics, right? The relationship is so dependent on the pitcher-catcher relationship. If you look at the first five games, Giolito pitched with McCann back in 2019. They weren't fantastic games. These two are still learning how to connect with each other. If you Now, Grandal, there was no spring training because it all got canceled. And there were only four games that the Sox let McCann, or excuse me, let Grandal catch Giolito. There's no rapport established there. Yeah, of course McCann's going to quote-unquote catch him better because he knows what to call. He knows how Giolito's feeling that day, and you, you build that relationship. With Grandal, the extra value is not only in once they have eventually established a much better relationship, a much stronger relationship, but Grandal is elite at getting those strikes for you, and elite is elite. Top of the league, you can't debate it. There's three different sites that tell me the exact same thing. He is going to get your pitcher's strikes. And you're not going to notice it day to day because a lot of people only notice it when there's a strikeout that, that, because that's when we are trained to really see, oh, wow, he got us a pitch there. You, you don't see it when he gets a strike one that helps set up strike two or a one-on-one count, and now it's a borderline pitch, but Grandal got it for him. And then that sets up his one-two pitch all the better. Framing goes long beyond just a couple pitches here or there. It, it changes entire at-bats. It changes the entire games, and I, the value in that goes so much farther than I think a lot of fans understand. And having someone who's elite at it is not only going to help you, it's going to help everyone on the staff. They'll learn how to call games together. Like th- That will develop as the relationship develops. But you got to let them catch them first. That makes sense. And, uh, and the other thing is with framers, and I don't know if, if I'm you know grasping at loose ends here with this, but the other thing with framers 
is McCann improved it last year. But I'm shocked that umpires don't sit down and go, this guy really gets a lot of calls. So watch for him to be moving the glove a lot around to try to get a call on borderline calls. I wonder if every once in a while they go, well, you know, this guy makes us look silly. So I got to pay more attention to this catcher. Do you think that actually happens? You think that like a framer is a better framer if he's done it for a long period of time because he he's still able to fool the umps even when they've heard his reputation is that he's really good at fooling umps? Yeah, because you can then you can play into the umpires' own biases. I'm sure there's data on where umpires like to call certain pitches. I'm sure teams have access to that. Now, if you can play to his biases on top of already being good at framing it. Now you're already now you're tapping into like second by second decisions that they're making. You have to call that pitch right away. You don't have time to think about it. As soon as you think about it, you're making the wrong decision. So if, if you take what you're good at and tap into some tendencies here and there, you're only going to increase how good how good your numbers look, how good your pitchers look, how many pitches your pitchers get at the end of the day. What do you think is going to happen here? Do you think that the White Sox are either a waiting to see what happens in the market, but there's a few contracts sitting out there and they're waiting to see if somebody comes back to their number, or B, they're really not making any moves until until the very end when they could scoop something up bargain basement. I mean, is the budget that small? What, what do you think's happening here in the next couple of weeks before I let you go, Jordan? I think the biggest thing you're going to see is the, the biggest hole that like you look at it and you're like, you have to fill it sooner than later is closer. No matter what they decide to do, you, you need you either need an A, Decide Aaron Bummer, Cody Hoyer, he's getting your ninth inning. Or you need to go get someone who has that experience to do so. Someone like Liam Hendricks is obviously the most popular name. There's other names. Kirby Yates has gotten innings there. Trevor Rosenthal has gotten innings there. There are plenty of guys available. You need to convert on one of them, and you need to do it sooner than later. Because once Hendricks falls, and no matter which team he goes to, there's going to be 29 losers, as always. But once he falls, you need to know what's your plan B, C, D, and keep going and trying for one of those. You, you can't sit and wait on it. The thing they can wait on that they'll probably wait until the market kind of comes to them is any non-tendered guys or any back-end starting pitchers where it's like, you know, it's a pandemic, we're going to play poor, and we're going to find a way to get someone for really cheap that's probably pretty good as a number five starter. Those are really the two things that they need to get done before the end, obviously, another relief pitcher is the biggest one. Um, but you need to have some sort of understanding who's getting those back-end innings at the end of the year. Because that, that's the most important thing And we, we available right now. We've seen someone like La Russa who considers bullpen usage very important. Now you got to start thinking about what your manager wants. Yeah, and I think he's got a lot of influence, Jordan. I, I think that... I think that uh... That a guy like Tony LaRusso walks into an office and says, I need to get this. And I, I think he's going to get it sometimes just because of that relationship he has with Jerry Reinsdorf. If only he could find a way to get Jerry to open up his wallet a little bit more. Just give that extra year to Hendricks and let's move on and get something else. I, I, I don't like these lulls, man. man it, it bores me. I get myself reading like weird tweets and, and reacting to things I shouldn't react to. I need something. I, they need to feed me here this week. No, I hear you. I mean... We, we talk about, hey, Tony's probably got Jerry's ear, and I'm like, hey, why isn't he in his ear saying, I want George Springer? Like, where does that disconnect happen? <laughs> like, if he's going to give him what LaRusso wants, then why don't we want the same things as fans? Like, what, what's going on here? <laughs> but you're, you're absolutely right, though, about, you know, just the lull. It's like, and it's frustrating, too, because it, it, it's becoming more and more and a lot of it has to do with who's running the teams. It's becoming more and more business-like, where you're going to wait until 
it plays to the way you want things to go because there's so many assets in the market. There's so many closers. There's so many starting pitchers. You're going to wait until they eventually come to you and they get down to your price. That's the unfortunate side of baseball because it is a business and you have to sort of run it like a business, but you'd also prefer people who run it like they're a fan at the same time as they're using it as a business. Jordan Lazowski, he's from SoxOn35th.com, also Diamond Digest. Always a treat to sit down with you, my friend, and I appreciate you joining us on Socks in the Basement, and uh, we will talk to each other soon, I'm sure. Absolutely. Good to talk to you, and I'll talk to you soon. Are you a CFO, HR professional, or owner of a company, big or small, and you're tired of the typical health insurance premium increases each and every year? Out of control premiums with no end in sight. Well, now there is the elite benefits formula. This process has saved employers and their employees thousands or even tens of thousands of dollars each year. These strategies are avoided by most insurance professionals, and the insurance companies definitely do not want you to know about them. But Elite Benefits of America is ready to help you. Just about all employers in the Chicagoland area can now take advantage of some or all of these strategies and start saving money. Butch Zemar from Elite Benefits of America wants you to reach out to him today. Visit EliteBenefits.net or call 708-535-3006. With the market being slow, even if they weren't going to shock us with Trevor Bauer, right, they could very easily be targeting some of the other free agents that are out there, some of the guys that are more depth pieces, some of the guys that are going to be, you know, guys that you want on the team ultimately, but we're not going to be this huge splashy game changer type of signing. And they could be picking those guys off left and right. You know, if they wanted to go a little less expensive on a DH and give a guy a one year deal right now, because they think that Andrew Vaughn's going to be ready after even half of a season in the minors this year, they could go out and pick up any number of position players right now that are sitting there on the street waiting for it and just say, look, Here, I'll give you this one-year deal. Then does that mean, in your mind, that the White Sox are either A, being so slow about this because they just want to get, they see a pool of guys and they're like, all five of these guys are basically the same. Let's let the market drive down the price as low as possible and we'll just pick up whatever's left over. Or do you think that they actually are still in, or at least they're not telling anybody that they are, still interested to see if a guy like Bauer throws up his hands in three weeks and says, fine, I'll just take a one-year deal. And then Rick Hahn's like, phew, I can do that. You know? I mean, like, is is, yeah. is there is there an offer on the table to somebody that they they laughed at it and poo-pooed it a month ago that Rick Hahn is holding out hope like, that guy might come back to that offer. And so I'm not going to sign these, these lower-end guys because that guy might come back to that offer. I would love to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that Rick is waiting on some of these bigger guys to come back down to his price. But the reality is is that we haven't heard enough rumors about any of these players. I just I, I don't think the news cycle I, between Twitter, between all the various sports sites, uh, all the reporters that are out there, I just I feel like you do get some rumors. You hear about, you know, guys have offers on the table that they're not taking or these teams are in on these guys, and we just haven't heard the White Sox rumored with anybody other than 
Liam Hendricks. You know, and that came early. And they're being used on the Liam Hendricks. Of thing. course they are. White Sox are constantly being thrown out there. This is this is the typical use the White Sox to drive up the price for somebody else. And you never thought it was going to be that way when you finally got good. You thought we'd be the team that would be, you know, that swooped in and somebody would use like let's say the Blue Jays. And maybe that's the case. Maybe the Blue Jays are being used by by Liam Hendricks people because he's really interested in the White Sox. We've seen a lot of things in White Sox media over the last week or so about how interested he has been in joining the White Sox. That we had I want to say it was James Fox was on this show just a few uh, weeks ago. And, and or maybe it was when Scott Merkin was on, but one of them sat there and said, "Hey, he, he he was telling people afterwards how impressed he was with the White Sox, that the White Sox have always been a team that he can imagine himself coming and joining here in this offseason, but he can't get that extra year. So is he actually playing another team hoping the White Sox will come along? It'd be great if we actually were the, instead of being a bridesmaid, I'd like to be the bride just once in one of these things, you know? And that is the cool thing about where the White Sox stand, okay, is that they are a team that I think players around the league and the league itself, you know, executives, everybody, fans even, uh, maybe not, you know, certain four-letter networks that tend to forget that they exist, but uh, Hendricks could very well be doing this because he really does want to be on the Sox, and he could be sitting there going, okay, well, the Blue Jays are also a team on the rise, so it makes sense logically that they would be an equal suitor to the White Sox, and maybe he's trying to drive up the price, or maybe he's he is trying to convince them to give him that extra year. Uh, you know, if that's the case, good. But with the rest of the free agents that are out there, if Rick is waiting for the market to be set on guys like, say, Eddie Rosario and Kyle Schwarber, who are basically the same guy, he really should be just looking at setting the market himself. And if they are waiting, if he's got offers out on the table to everybody, I feel like we would have heard a little bit more about that. I just, I just, I just don't feel like it's so slow. I feel like there's such a black hole of news out there that baseball media in general is grabbing at every possible thing that they can get their hands on. And either everybody is being really great on the agent side about not talking about what's out there, or we're really in a situation here where teams, and it's not just the Sox, it's a lot of teams, let's face it, there's just no interest in signing these guys. There's just no interest in spending money, and teams are all going to be in the same position of, we're going to have to have young guys step up in places that we would have normally put a free agent. And the free agents are going to be sitting there. They either have to come way down and take these one-year deals, or they're just not going to play in 2021. And I don't think that that's going to be the case. I think I think guys will accept deals late. It's just a question of whether or not it's going to be something where the Sox should be in that pileup of teams at the start of spring training that are picking all these guys up on the cheap, or because of where they are, in their rebuild because of where they are expected to compete this year. Should they just be going and selecting? They really just need like two, three guys. Shouldn't they just be going out and getting those guys and saying, here, forget the rest of the market. I want you pick your guys. You know, whether or not you think Eddie Rosario is better than Kyle Schwarber to use your example. You should know that by now go sign the guy. The other guy should be the backup. You shouldn't be like, we'll just take the leftovers. We shouldn't be acting that way. I get your point there. We shouldn't be acting. If you're not in on the big guys, fine. Why are we sitting around waiting for leftovers? Do we do we honestly believe that the market's going to get driven so low into the ground that we'll end up with something amazing? So we're just waiting? Is this like a zen thing or are we just indecisive? Or are we really broke? Because again, 
We haven't spent the amount of money that would have been on the payroll if we just would have kept everybody from last year. We haven't even gotten to that yet. That's disgusting to me. Look, a free agency is a buffet, okay? I am an overweight man. Take it from me, Rick Hahn, as an overweight man. If you can tip the guy to get you to the front of the line, go to the front of the line and grab your stuff. Don't be at the end of the line in the buffet and not get the good chicken. Right. Okay? Right. Rick, you're not going to get the good chicken if you wait too long. Right. You don't want to get to the cutting board and all that's left is the well-done stuff because somebody already got the rare stuff and the medium rare, you know? You don't want to get there, and the only dessert that's left is the bread pudding, and it's been picked over, and there's a kid's fingers in it. You don't want that. Yeah, and the bread pudding with holes in it is a bad idea. Right. Just as a rule. Get to the front of the line for your buffet. If, you're, if your idea is to grab a couple more pieces, and they don't need to be big names, get your pieces and move over to your table and sit down and watch everybody else fight over the scraps. And what I'm concerned about is, is that he went and got two pieces right at the start of the offseason. He jumped on Adam Eaton. And he jumped on the Lance Lynn trade. And then it's been a lot of nothing. So why didn't he jump on the other pieces if he was going to sign them? And that's what has me a little So your concern is that this. he's not doing anything else. This is it. This is the team. Like, unless he gets a bargain on a player, he's going into the season like this? Like, that would just infuriate me. I'd be, I'd be so furious over that. I don't believe that is happening because that is insane. That's insane. That would be insane. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.